From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Welcome back to the revolution, everybody. We have uh, no one here, actually, but me. I figured, you know what? If they can do it by themselves last week and they didn't need me, I think I I, I needed a a day by myself to come in and set the record straight from all their nonsense last week. So uh, Corey is out. Uh, I think he's on his deathbed. Uh, So uh, call in, uh, wish him well, send him uh, flowers. Uh, No, I think he's just under the weather. I think he's going to be back. And uh, who knows, Rebecca, she doesn't like to come in when I'm here, so uh, that's probably uh, probably for the best. So, anywho, so uh, if y'all listened last week, uh, you may have heard a little bit about Labor Cup, and I was so bummed out that I'm, I was on the road with my team, and I didn't get a chance to talk about Labor Cup. So that's what we're doing today. Um, I think the buzz, first of all, the buzz is pretty amazing. Uh, I think it, it caught fire, and and everyone at, at every level is talking about it. Uh, some people, some people are taking shots at it. Some people aren't a hundred percent sure. They feel good about uh, that it was on the up and up. Looking at some of the scores, that's the first thing I thought when I saw the scores. So if you look at the the, the closeness of each individual match, most most every match, I think there's one match that was a blowout. Uh, or, or maybe not a blowout, but one match that was uh, somewhat um, what you would think you would see on the tour. Um, but every other match was tiebreakers and third set match breakers. And of course, conveniently, it comes down to the last match on the last day with the two, I guess, marquee players on both sides. So you had Federer playing a third set match breaker to win it against Kyrgios, who was trying to keep the world team in it. If he wins, they tie. And uh, and it was close. It, it He had a point. I, I believe he had a match point at least, one match point. So um, the the perfectness of the score is, is kind of what got me thinking that it's a little dodgy, a little dodgy. But... Um, well, let's talk about the event first. I think echoing Rebecca and Corey's uh, thoughts last week, I thought it was a great event. I thought it was um, fun and different. The team aspect is something I deal with as a college coach on a regular basis, and and so I, I you know, I know the ins and outs and the in the positives and everything you can get from that. So that was that was something I enjoyed, but. There were some cheesy things. I think the scoring could have been I don't like how it went from each day the match values increased. That was a little cheesy to me. That was a little cheesy. Um I also don't like the goofy staged uh front end where they were trying to pick who was playing, you know, doubles and doing this strategizing the strat that was all that was all scripted. That was that was fake. And that that got me worried, um, but then the the thing that turned it around, the thing that that everyone out here needs to understand when they're putting it together, some kind of event, exhibition or not, 
There's only one thing that matters. There's only one thing that matters, and that's real competition. If it's real competition, and both sides are getting after it, and really trying to put it on each other, and you could see from their reactions, you could see from the bench's reactions, by the way, which the entire bench was there watching, like Davis Cup, I thought that was awesome. I thought that showed, really gave a glimpse into how serious they were taking the event. And so I think, you know, the the tail end, the very last match when Federer wins it and everybody, you know, the 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 uh, European team is jumping up and down and, you know, Fed, uh, Nadal looks like he just won a match. I thought that, that said everything right there. I thought that was fun. And I thought that kind of put it in perspective that, okay, maybe the surface and some other things lent itself. And the fact that you have the top players on both sides, you know, obviously more on Europe than uh, the world. But, you know, maybe that's what lent, lent the scores to being so close. Um, but one thing it, I think is reasonable to assume looking at some of the players that were in it, it's reasonable to just say, if you were to ask the question, would Nadal tank? Even a set, not a match, a set. And I think I think it's, uh, if you answer that question honestly, it's like, hell no, of course not. There's no way that the bull would would do that. So ultimately, I think the only really thing that kind of, made you think was that the scores were so close so other than that if you can if you can kind of figure out hey everybody's pretty competitive everybody's at the top of the the tennis game and maybe that's why it was competitive then I think you're good to go and so for me I think yeah probably uh it it, it may be a little bit of a conspiracy theory to to think it was it was fixed and maybe not even fixed from top to bottom not fully scripted but hey you know, Rogers put this event together. He's invested in it. He's got labor on board, and it's this new thing, and we really want it to work. So there might have been some soft, um, you know, guys maybe miss a forehand or three, maybe. I'm not saying calling out anybody's name, uh, but that was one other aspect when Nadal missed some forehands um, in his singles match, made it look a little, a little dodgy. But ultimately, I think their reactions, their play on court and their body language and everything else, I, I would if I had to vote, I would say it was not scripted. I would say it was not scripted. And I would say they took it pretty seriously, maybe more so as the event went on than beforehand when they were thinking about, oh, an exhibition. Let's do an exhibition. Um, so I, I liked it. I liked it uh, mostly. Like I said, the scoring, adding adding point values, that, that's gimmicky because now you're giving, you're just making sure you don't lose any viewers because it's out of hand and, you know, world can't come back. And so anytime you do stuff like that, it's kind of like the MTV, you know, rock and jock basketball games where you have a 50-point shot somewhere. I mean, so if you have some kind of goofy 50-point shot situation, then that adds a, an element of a circus to me. And that's one thing I try to get rid of. Uh I will tell you this. I think if it brings attention in non tennis non, you know, fans, just the the casual viewer as they call it, if it brings casual fans in because they see this fun exciting team format with the elite players as obviously some of them were injured, but they have what they could get. 
if that if that if the labor cup serves that purpose and does that and and kind of brings new people a little bit of a shot in the arm of tennis then who cares whether it was fixed or not to be honest with you now obviously I don't want it to be fixed but if it does that I think that's the most important thing and what we need in tennis and and what I thought was the United States only uh, I thought we only had that problem but talking to some other people uh, when I was at the US Open there's other countries out there that tennis is struggling a little bit with numbers and maybe not just at the top, but top to bottom. And I think we have 330 million people in this country, so we can weather that storm a little bit. But if something like this event can kind of like like a Ryder Cup for golf can kind of kick in some interest and get people on board, then how can you argue with it? Now, as, as far as the long-term, you know, um, prospects of this uh event of the labor cup you know who knows who knows i can't keep going like this where the world gets their ass kicked all over the court that can't that can't be the case i don't get old so we've got to do something about that maybe change how we do it i've heard people suggest nadal and Federer are co are captains and they pick their teams and then play i, I don't know if that changes how how much the European team gets into it. I think Europe may have a, a slight complex um, as it relates to the United States. Uh, they did start the European Union to compete with our dollar. Uh, not, I'm not getting political here, but I'm just saying they might have a little chip on their shoulder as it relates to the U.S. So this may – I know it was a world team, but we had a bunch of U.S. players on there too. So, um, you know, there may be there may have been a little bit behind their excitement winning because of, of that. But um but I you know, I could get behind various different things. I will tell you this. If it does anything, here's what I would love to see it do. I would love to see it scare Davis Cup into making some changes. I'd love it to see put some pressure on the David and Fed Cup for that matter. Um, into making some changes. I think we met Corey and I back in the day may have talked about some early episodes, may have talked about some changes to Davis Cup we'd like to see. And the excitement of this event, I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff that could carry over. Um, certainly the one-off nature of this, and I, well, it's two-off now, at least it's going to 2018. That's one thing I don't like. I'd like to I'd like to see Davis Cup maybe go to every two or every four years like World Cup. I think it'd be a huge deal. But the thing that I the scheduling of this of the Labor Cup lends itself to is this one event, one period of time situation. Now obviously three days is different than what they would have to do for Davis Cup. But I'd love to see Davis Cup in mid November, early November, and do a whole week and a half, two weeks, whatever it is, and knock out the whole thing. Or maybe just start at the you know the final eight, or do the final four. I don't know how you do it, but I'd like to see one big event and and have the whole thing rocking and rolling, um, like almost like an Olympic venue. Everybody comes to one place. Everybody's exchanging uh, jerseys of their countries, all this other stuff, and then they play, and it's all one big one big event. And I think that would draw. First of all, you would know more about it. You wouldn't just say, oh well. Davis Cup is on. When did that happen? I never know when Davis Cup is coming on. Um, so that that could definitely be 
an interesting um, adjustment, I think, for Davis Cup if they could if they could st- you know just steal a little bit of uh, of the Labor Cup Thunder. Um, as far as <laughs> one criticism I've heard, one criticism I've heard is where were the women? And my answer to that is, hey, if the Roger Federer equivalent, somebody over on the other side, on the women's side, wants to put together an event, put it together. And if, if they can get financial backing, get financial backing. And if it works, it works. I don't know that the, the Labor Cup needs to be responsible for the women's side. I, I didn't miss the women in relation to this event. I think it was a fine, fine event. And I thought it was, the, the play was fantastic. The competition was fantastic. Uh, overall, I thought the the uh um the authenticity was fantastic uh, again everything except for maybe that first uh <laughs> the strategy session and so uh, you know why why taint it with complaining as if they did something wrong by not having the women they didn't they didn't the women can do that at any point they want to do that at any point they want to do that they are welcome to do that and if it gets supported it gets supported i would watch it that'd be great we'd have to change it couldn't be it couldn't be Europe against world. It'd, have to, it'd probably have to switch to be the U.S. or North America. So I can get Eugenie. Eugenie so I can get her in there. I, may, I wonder where Sharapova would play. Maybe for us. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. I, we'd have to petition. But, uh, well, yeah, the women can do whatever cup they want to do. You know, I don't think they call it the Margaret Court Cup. <laughs> but... Still, if they if they did that, I think it would probably be received pretty well, and uh, and I think it would probably be uh, maybe not as exciting. I don't know; it's hard to say. Roger Federer still, I think, the most popular player, top to bottom, irrespective of gender. So that's a little bit of an, uh, an unfair advantage, not because he's a dude and they're and they're women, but because he he himself is just worldwide over the top popular. And so that that's a huge advantage that Labor Cup would have over the Serena Cup or whatever else we'd want to call it. Can't call it the Billie Jean King Cup, for God's sake. She's got everything nam- named after her already. Give it a rest. Um, she didn't invent tennis, all right? She did a lot, but for God's sakes. So, um, yeah, so the women, I think that would be exciting, but I don't think you need to combine it. It just it turn into a mess, and it'd make it more of a circus and lessen, I think it'd lessen that all- authenticity uh, less in the realism. So, uh, but yeah, so overall, the Labor Cup, uh, you know, I'll support it. If it's in Chicago and somehow I can figure out a way to get to it, I would go. Um, and where I'd buy a world t shirt, uh, maybe even Kyrios on the back. And then, uh, and then, and then cheer and holler and yell and, and maybe Burdish will win a match next year. Who knows? Well, that's that's really all I have to say about the Labor Cup, but I just wanted to follow up because I didn't get a chance to talk about it, and I thought it was a really cool event that is something new and fresh and different, and different is key. And to be honest with you, for what it was, I didn't mind the 10-point breaker for the match, the third set breaker. Didn't mind it at all. Um, we do that a lot in college. Once a team match is decided, all remaining matches that are still going – if they do split sets, we usually, not all the time, but usually play a third set match breaker. 
which is the, basically in lieu of a third set, you play a tiebreaker to 10 points. And at that point, the team match is decided, so it, it just speeds it up. You figure, hey, we both want a set. We're pretty even, so let's just uh, let's just do this. And uh, and so, it, so it's, it's pretty familiar to me. It may not be familiar if you don't play league tennis or whatever, but it's uh, for I would I, I wouldn't want to see it at Wimbledon. Uh, you know, the fifth set match breaker, <laughs> you tied two sets all. But uh, but I thought I thought that addition in this context uh, was perfectly fine. So, well, there you go. That's Labor Cup. That's everything I've got. I can't really. Uh, it's tough to tough to argue about it with nobody else here to argue. So um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait until next week. Hopefully, when everybody's back uh, and they can uh, they can yell at me about it. So, all right. Well, we'll be right back. It's time to join the revolution. Go to our website, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com to get the latest episodes, email us your questions and comments, or give us show ideas. All right, we're back. So hopefully you haven't... uh deleted the podcast uh having to listen to me by myself it's such a it's a br- let me tell you something i don't care what you do uh what radio you listen to if you listen to talk radio of any kind and there's a host that doesn't have a lot of guests and they're by themselves you got to give them credit because this is brutal uh it's no fun without Corey and or rebecca although i've been here with rebecca and who knows how long but uh but yeah so it's it's tough just talking to myself basically so uh, but we're going to press on. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, so I was out last week because I was at an event with my college team, and and it got me thinking, one of the things I wanted to talk about here is to really press the issue that, number one, there is a place to play college-wise for virtually everyone. So a lot of people... Either coming up as juniors, they may have in the back of their mind. Well, certainly in other sports, other sports, basketball, football, you know, baseball, to, you know, ho- hockey to a smaller degree, you know, the major sports, but um, soccer for sure. You know, track and field. All I mean, I'm not going to name all the sports, but basically, there's always a sense that college it can be in the future for an athlete, and, and tennis, to some degree is the same way, uh, although our sport in the U.S. has one added feature uh, that makes it tough, and that's international players. So Division One, so Division One would be, you know, Texas or UVA, Duke, Stanford, you know, all those big schools you see on TV, and then smaller ones that are in, in smaller conferences like Memphis or Toledo or, um, you know, whoever, you name it. There's a bunch out there, and they all are allowed to have scholarships, both men and women's tennis. You also have Division Two, which really is a designation based on how much money your athletic department wants to spend, basically. Uh, Division One and Division Two is not like high schools where the number of students make up, you know, the population dictates what level you're at. So, I mean, the biggest 
Division three school in the country is New York University, NYU, with over 50,000 students. So, and there's Division ones out there with 2,500. So, it's not a matter of students. It's just a matter of making the decision to spend the money to carry enough sports to meet the minimums required for each division, and then spending the money to pay for the scholarships that you're allotted for each division because they're they're different. Division one has more, uh, division two has less, and division three has none. But you also have junior college. You have junior college in California. They have their own whole situation out there. And then you have junior college in the rest of the country, and they have a varied, various schools that either have scholarships, don't, or have partial. Uh, you also have NAIA, which is sort of a competing body to the NCAA, and they also can have scholarships. And all, and to, I say all that to say this, is that regardless of your level, there really is a place to play for almost everyone. And one of the best places to start is I'm not I'm, I'm really this is they don't pay me this is just from experience and 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 using them over the last couple of years that they've been involved uh, in tennis but one place to start is the Universal Tennis Rating website UTR if you've got if you have a UTR um, then you can go and compare yourselves to other players and then you can compare yourselves to rosters of of colleges out there you can go in and type in a college and you can see their their average, you know, from the top to the lowest, and see where you fit in, and that kind of gives you an idea that hey, I can play potentially at this level, or you know, so and so, this kid I used to beat all the time is playing at this level. His UTR is this, or her UTR is this, and you know, I'm I'm higher than that. So, so there is a place to play for everybody. So the UTR, and again, I'm not selling them from the standpoint of they're giving me money. I'm just talking about them because it's a useful tool. And it's a useful tool for a lot of kids out there because they don't know what all this stuff means. And parents may not either. I mean, they see athletics on TV and they see, you know, the the Louisville scandal with Patino and all that. Well, you don't have to worry about that too much at Division III. Uh, we're not throwing around shoe contracts at D- Division III. But, but the idea is that regardless of your level, there very well could be a place to play. Now, you may not be able to play at the school you want to play at that, that you want to attend academically. But if school, if, uh, if you've got some flexibility in that regard and you know, you have a dream of playing college tennis, there's a place out there for you. There's a place out there for you. And like I said, start with UTR, get a UTR. If you don't have a UTR, you just need to play matches, play USTA matches. If you're in Texas, they're starting to do high school matches on UTR. Uh, so they 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 have a score reporting system, and the the coaches in the Texas high schools are starting to upload their scores from their school matches, and so kids without really even doing anything will have their matches um, counted towards the UTR, and and so what that does is it starts getting giving you a kind of a general sense of where you are in relation to not just like your high school district or your region or maybe the local tournaments you play, but it gives you a better idea of where you land in relation to really kids all over the country. Now they're trying to go international. Eh, I don't know. But 
at the very least, it's starting to spread really like wildfire across the U.S. And so that kind of can give you that can give you a real good sense of all the options that you may have. So, you know, we talked about an episode a while back talking about the UTR of like Serena Williams and so on and so forth, and we won't rehash all that, but that's that's at the upper end and in in the in the the numbers go down, down, down all the way to, you know, threes and twos. And there are college rosters with threes and twos on them. Um, and you don't have to be Serena. You don't have to be winning a Division One national title. And you don't have to be getting a full ride to a school for tennis. You can just go to a school for the academics and the tennis and really enhance your college career by competing in a sport with a jersey that has your school on, representing your school. And there are a ton of places. So start with start with UTR. Find out where you're at in relation to UTR. If you have a kid that's, you know, help them find that. Get them into tournaments so they can get some results so that the, the algorithm, I don't even know what that is, but it's something, the algorithm they use can go to work and start to find out what your kid's UTR is. And then you just start searching schools in your areas or schools, um, you know, wherever. And you can go to UTR for that as well. Um, Another good place is tennisrecruiting.net. They're kind of not competitive, kind of a little bit competitive uh, with each other. They do have some overlap in terms of the ranking. Um, Although universal tennis rating doesn't, really provide a lot of information for the, the the kids themselves. So as a college coach, to find a kid and find out their contact information, maybe their academic information, and, and some of their result stuff, I can go to tennisrecruiting.net and really dig into that individual recruit, where they train, it's got their high school information, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's that's another aspect of the process for for your uh, junior player that that you might want to be aware of. They they also have, they have a free version, so you don't even have to pay for any of these things. They do have free versions. Obviously, you don't get as much. Um, there's some things you get when you pay for a subscription or whatever. Uh, but even without it, you're still you're getting your name you know, and getting results out there and starting to compare yourselves um, to other players. So you start to find your place. And then from there, you just find a school that matches up with with sort of the things you want, both from academics, from tennis, from uh, all the other aspects of the type of school. Is it a religious school? Is it in a big city? And is it, is it a small town? Is it you know the liberal arts type education? Um, all those different factors, um, but with keeping in mind that ultimately that you can you can. Your level of tennis, no matter what, you know, you're you're not that experienced, not that high level, there's still potentially an opportunity for you to play and compete and be a part of a, a, a college tennis squad. Um, and that's a big deal. And I think that's a big deal for basketball. I think it's a big deal for football. I think those, those two sports, uh, and really baseball, a lot of other sports, that is a real outlet. And I don't think a lot of tennis players in America – see that as much of an outlet uh, to continue their tennis career as they used to. Part of it's the international for sure. Uh, part of it's teams, colleges cutting 
programs, tennis programs from their campuses um, for various reasons. Uh, but yeah, there there is there is a lot of opportunities out there and a lot of rosters that can use additional players to really round out their numbers and make their programs uh, more healthy. Um, and so maybe those programs stick around for longer. Because ultimately, I think the future of American tennis, I think there's a lot of aspects. It's a, it's a multi-layered thing, but I do think college can be part of that. Because we don't have... Because the health and growth and you know welfare of tennis in America doesn't just come from Jack Sock, Isner, you know Stevie Johnson. Um, obviously, that's what we see out front, you know, and that's the the part we cheer for on TV. But ultimately, I want you know a hundred thousand kids more every six months getting added and staying with with tennis. If we do that, even if none of them ever are top 100 in the world, even if none of them are top 100 in our country, it doesn't matter. Because we're growing at the base level, more money will be spent um, on the game for rackets and balls and clothes and shoes, and that'll you know, you know, spawn businesses in the tennis. I mean, we got tons, but you know, um, and then ultimately. The more people you have going, the more pressure there is for college athletics to not drop a popular sport. But as it stands, we're pretty low down the list. Tennis is depressingly, depressingly low down the list in terms of popularity in the U.S. And that's why it's easy for colleges to just drop tennis because nobody cares. We care. Tennis people care. That's why you listen to this pod. But ultimately, if we increase our stature increase our numbers and push on up the list, then it becomes harder and harder for that to happen. So, but you know, if you have a tennis a youngster, a junior out there um, that plays tennis, but they don't really have aspirations, kind of point some of these websites out, tennisrecruiting.net, universal tennis rating, and, uh, and, and have them take a look and just see where they stack up. They might be surprised and, and excited, to be honest with you, about what their opportunities might be. And, and ultimately, that excitement will lend itself to long-term growth, I think, of our sport. And that's, that, that's why I do this podcast. That's, that's, really, that's really why I decided to take the time, effort, and resources to, to put this thing together because I really want tennis to grow. It's a beautiful sport. It's been a big, big deal in my life. And so... Um, and so, you know, this is one small thing I can do to help grow it. So get, get people educated on, on their opportunities and, and really reinvigorate in, in, you know, the excitement in tennis. And, uh, and who knows, you might have a, a future college athlete on your hands. So, all right, well, that's it. I hope, uh, hope you didn't miss Corey and Rebecca too much. Um, uh, hopefully everybody will be back and healthy and, and, and everything next week. And until next time, thanks for joining the revolution. 